Welcome back to Midnight Movie Theater. It's our fourth and final movie of our month-long Christmas celebration. What better way to end it than with an absolute classic? Black Christmas from 1974. It's heavily praised as being a big inspiration for John Carpenter's Halloween, as well as one of the earliest slasher movies. It also has a ton of style. I can't help but feel like this movie must have been inspired by the early Italian directors and the giallo subgenre. Black Christmas has come up many times as a must-watch and has been recommended often, so I was happy to finally get around to it. There's so much talent attached to this movie. Bob Clark, the director, also directed A Christmas Story. Olivia Hussey was Juliet in the 1968 adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. The one that they make you watch in grade school and fast forward through the sex scene. Kerr Dulia played David Bowman in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Margot Kidder played Lois Lane in the Christopher Reeve Superman movies from the 1970s and 80s, as well as Kathy Lutz in the Amityville Horror, not the Ryan Reynolds one. Then there's John Saxon, who I immediately recognize as Nancy's dad in A Nightmare on Elm Street. This dude is always a cop. It took me a while to remember where else I've seen Mr. Saxon, but then it clicked. He's in Enter the Dragon, co-starring alongside Bruce Lee. What a kick-ass movie. So, this movie is about a guy crank-calling a sorority house. But these aren't your typical harmless crank phone calls. This guy is making all sorts of fucked up noises and saying some really bizarre shit into the phone. You ever do crank calling, man? I used to crank call everybody. Hello, is your mom there? What? Who's calling? None of your fucking business, you bitch. <laughs> Hello. I'm going to fucking kill you. Who is this? Oh, don't you worry about it. <laughs> what seems like a tasteless prank turns into a very serious threat rather quickly. We spend the majority of the movie trying to track down who is making these calls, as well as find out what happened to a fellow sorority sister that has gone missing. This story is based on a fairly popular urban legend. There are plenty of movies with a similar setup and even two Black Christmas remakes, one from 2006 and the other from 2019. I haven't seen either of those, but maybe, just maybe someday I'll be ready and willing to find out why there needs to be three movies called Black Christmas. I'll try to save my final thoughts for the end of this episode, but after watching this movie for the first time, I'm not going to lie, I had mixed feelings. There are a lot of really creative moments and unique shots, especially when you take into consideration what year this was made. On top of that, when the movie wants to be suspenseful, it does a great job at it. The antagonist seems completely unhinged. It's really great. The only thing that kept kind of bugging me was that it feels very bloated at times. There are just some scenes that did absolutely nothing for me or the story. I kind of get the feeling that some of the scenes I'm thinking of were seen as comedic relief. Maybe they landed well for the time, but you might as well have had the characters taking a shit on screen. The best way to put it without giving too much away is that it felt pretty lopsided overall. Well, we better go ahead and do it. Let's ring right into... Right away, we're seeing a sorority house from a POV shot. Our main character, Jess, walks inside and joins a small Christmas party. Our POV person starts climbing up the side of the house and makes his way into the attic window. The POV shots in this look really cool, almost like a wide-angle lens or something that gives the edges a slightly warped effect. Also, our antagonist, Billy, has a really stuffy nose. 
For a little while, I thought this initial POV was there to throw us off, make us think that it's going to be the killer, but then it's just someone's boyfriend or something. It's not that, it's the killer. Meanwhile, at the party, we're meeting some more of our characters. Barb gets a call from her mom as the party starts to wind down. Barb is a pretty big dickhead. She invites some of the women to go skiing at a place her mom rented. Jess and Phil reluctantly agree. Claire says she has plans, and this seems to piss Barb off. She calls Claire a prude and a virgin, and some other shit before Claire heads upstairs to pack. Later on in the movie, we see Barb feeding an 8-year-old booze. She's an obnoxious drunk throughout the movie and overall pretty unlikable. Before all that, there's a phone call at the house and Jess picks up. It's a crank caller that they've given the nickname of The Moaner. All of the women gather around and this dude is going nuts on the other end. He's saying all sorts of weird shit and making animal noises. Barb jumps on and starts talking shit to the guy. It's all kind of what you'd expect, but before the dude hangs up, he says he's going to kill her. This startles them a bit. Claire tells them a town girl was raped not that long ago, and Barb responds with, You can't rape a townie. Claire goes upstairs to pack and hears some noises in her closet. She goes to check them out and gets grabbed and suffocated with some plastic sheeting. The rest of the house is downstairs, distracted by their house mother's arrival. Mrs. Mack is her name, and hiding bottles and bottles of booze in the dumbest places imaginable is her game. After she opens her Christmas present from the sorority sisters, she goes to a bookshelf and pulls out a book that has a bottle shape cut out of it. She starts chugging this pint of whiskey but gets interrupted by Jess. Mrs. Mack is an older lady and obviously a functioning alcoholic. I just don't get why she's hiding booze in all these weird places. I think this is one of the things that's supposed to be played for laughs, but just feels a little off and kind of takes me out of the movie a little bit. While all that was going on, Billy was carrying Claire's body up to the attic. Jess gets a call from her boyfriend, Peter. You can tell the phone ringing is already causing some stress among the house. Peter is a concert pianist in training and has been attending a conservatory for eight years now. Jess wants to talk to him about something important, but wants to do it face to face. He has been practicing for his audition for four nights straight without sleeping, so he's pretty fucking tired, I guess. Just seems a little put off by the whole conversation. Here's another example of a scene I could just do without. We're back with Mrs. Mack. She's getting ready for bed. She's looking around for something and then takes the back of the toilet off. She fishes a string up and attached to it is another pint of whiskey. She washes her mouth out with the whiskey. There's like three or four scenes like this in the movie. It's not a big deal. I just hate them. I don't give a shit if this big old hoe is drinking a bathtub full of vodka with a crazy straw and immediately smoking meth out of a light bulb if it doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. I was just kind of waiting for this to matter later on and it doesn't. They just want you to know that she loves whiskey. Just knocks on Claire's door but gets no answer. We cut to a shot of Claire's body rocking back and forth in a rocking chair with the plastic still over her head. Billy is singing some sort of nursery rhyme. He is making himself at home up in the attic. He even has candles lit. It's the next day and we see Claire's dad waiting around outside the campus. He gets smoked in the face with a snowball. Claire was supposed to meet him, but she hasn't shown up yet. He starts asking around if anyone has seen her recently. He ends up at the sorority house and talks to Mrs. Mack about where Claire might be. Mrs. Mack is kind of brushing it off as no big deal, 
She reassures him that Claire probably just lost track of time and is hanging out at one of the common areas on campus. Mr. Harrison is kind of pissed off about what might be going on at the house. The drinking and boys are corrupting Claire. This is one of the scenes with Mrs. Mack that I do like. She's kind of talking to herself while getting ready about how she can't be held responsible for every student's morals on campus. We cut to the conservatory where Peter practices his piano. Jess tells him she's pregnant and they both have completely different opinions about this. She's made her mind up about having an abortion. He thinks she needs to take some time to think it over and sees her as being selfish. Peter's piano audition is later on that evening, so he wants to talk more after that. Jess isn't really interested in talking more. All of this gives these characters more depth and gives the people in the movie and possibly the audience reason to suspect that Peter might be behind the killing. I didn't really think it was going to end up being him, but there were a couple of moments when I started to see how that reveal could happen. Peter totally blows his piano recital. I guess. I am someone who does listen to music. I can't say I know much about what Peter's doing on the piano, but I'm sure it's impressive. It's probably some sort of avant-garde experimental Baroque period number. Even though it sounds like what would happen if I shotgunned a couple of monster energies and went fucking ballistic on the ivories for about five minutes. He's sweating his balls off while he's hammering out this tune, and I can't help but feel sorry for whoever has to wipe the ass sweat off that piano bench. The three old guys watching him look pissed. We assume he gets the bad news about his audition because he takes a mic stand and smashes the fuck out of that baby grand that he was dripping all over. The sound of him breaking the piano is cooler than what he was playing, honestly. It is very similar to what's going on in the background of the obscene phone calls. The phone calls could be released as a Mr. Bungle album. Take some animal noises, weird screaming, and discordant piano tones, and you got yourself a Mike Patton project. Jess answers the next call. Hello? I'm watching you. Excuse me? That's exactly what The Undertaker told John Cena! But will he be able to take the belt from the mightiest champion in WWE history at this weekend's WWE Super Slam? Stop calling my house John before Cena. I get your number. I will track you down and absolutely tear you Ladder. to f***ing pieces. On this one, we hear a guy doing multiple voices asking for Billy and Agnes. We start to get pieces of a story behind what is most likely the caller's backstory. It's pretty ambiguous and a really clever way to let us know that the guy in the attic is completely unhinged. There's a quick scene that introduces a dopey cop character. Mr. Harrison reports Claire missing, but he doesn't really take it all that serious. He takes down some information, but assumes that she probably ran off with some boy. It seems a little crazy, but I know from listening to too many true crime podcasts that missing people weren't really taken seriously for a long time. They'd often wait 48 hours before even starting to look for someone reported missing. The Amber Alert wasn't put into effect until 1996. It's pretty fucking wild. 
job. This pisses off Claire's boyfriend and he busts into the station and starts ripping some ass. We finally get John Saxon on the case. You know this motherfucker means business. He gets the file going and pulls together a search party right away. And between all of that, there's another scene establishing Barb as a big drunk shithead. She just kind of rambles on to Claire's dad about how turtles can screw for three days and she went to the zoo to watch. But she watched some other animals instead. It's real goofy and she kind of does that thing that Bobcat Goldwythe does in Grind when he's banging his hands together. She goes on some other rant about how everyone is going to blame her if Claire's dead. Mr. Harrison just kind of stares at her and eventually Phyllis convinces her to go to bed. I haven't talked about Phyllis much and she doesn't do a whole lot throughout the movie, but she's my favorite character. She's easily the most likable and level-headed. This movie is a bit of a slow burn. We're about 40 minutes in and we're just about to get to our second death in the movie which i really appreciate it takes its time building up these characters and creating tension every time the phone rings we learn that there is a high school girl reported missing as well so while most of the people that are still on campus for the holidays are busy looking for claire and the other missing girl mrs mack is at the sorority house Barb is still in the house, but she's passed out in her room. Mrs. Mack starts hearing the cat Claude meowing somewhere in the house. She has to find out where it's coming from, so she ends up making her way into the attic. She catches a glimpse of Claire's dead body, still in the rocking chair, still with the plastic over her face. Billy is waiting for her ass with a hook attached to a rope harness. He launches it through her neck and it pulls her up into the attic. Billy's POV shows him going fucking nuts in the attic, rocking Claire's body and throwing shit all over the place. Jess leaves the search party just before they find the high school girl that was missing. She's dead. They don't show what happened or let you know whether or not it's connected, but they do show everyone's reaction who found her and their faces say it all. When Jess arrives back at the sorority house, she gets another phone call from Billy. He's crying and making little to no sense. She gets off the phone and calls the cops. She tells Officer Doofy about the calls they've been receiving and he doesn't take it serious. We see someone sneaking up behind her and she gets jump scared by Peter. Peter obviously hasn't been having the best day, but he's being a real douche to Jess right away. She's worried about Claire and he's just kind of like, oh, she's fine. Anyway, I'm going to quit being a piano man and we should get married and have that baby. What do you think? She's like, nope. Peter's really coming unglued. He's making vague threats and compares her getting an abortion to having a wart removed, which is important because the killer makes the same comparison during a phone call later on. The police come over and have the phone company put a tap on their phone line. There's some police procedural type stuff. They tell the women that they'll have to keep the caller on the line for quite a while to get a trace, and he shows them that they have a cop parked outside the house. We also see that Peter is still hanging out across the street in some bushes. Phyllis is pretty sure that Claire is dead. She's super upset and goes to bed because she's taking some Benadryl or some shit. We get some more mumbo jumbo about the phone lines being tapped. Then we see Billy rocking Claire's body and singing a nursery rhyme again. He's put a baby doll in her lap this time. We see the killer's POV into Barb's room. She starts screaming and Jess runs upstairs. False alarm, she's just having an asthma attack. Barb goes back to bed and just steps out to listen to a group of carolers. This next scene is probably the best in the whole movie. 
There are a few other really noteworthy moments, but this one is probably the most iconic. Jess is standing halfway out the front door. She is lit with red Christmas lights from the wreath in front of her. We see the black Christmas sneak back into Barb's room. He grabs a crystal unicorn off of her headboard. Barb has a ton of glass and crystal shit on her headboard for some reason. Billy lifts it over his head and is talking about Agnes. He's saying, don't tell them what we've done, Agnes. The camera finally points at Billy, but you just see a shadowy figure, except for his left eye. It looks amazing. They use this picture or the suffocated Claire picture in the rocking chair for most of the cover art for this movie, and for good reason. This scene feels like it's straight out of a giallo. It looks so good, it's cutting back and forth between Jess clapping with all the red lights glowing on her and Barb, red with blood, getting stabbed. Jess's sense of comfort is cut short when a woman rushes them off, informing them about the girl that was found murdered in the park. While this conversation is happening, you hear the phone ringing in the background. The calls are getting crazier, and during this one, the killer says just like having a wart removed before hanging up. This really seems to fuck with Jess and make her suspect Peter. She decides not to tell the cops about her suspicions, though. She does tell Phyllis, but Phyllis doesn't really buy that it's Peter either. But then, Peter calls the house crying and saying, don't hurt the baby. Peter hangs up before they can trace where he's calling from. Saxon was listening in on that call and questions Jess about it. He's starting to think he might be the guy. Jess remembers that Peter was in the house during one of the calls, so she's pretty convinced it couldn't have been him. Phyllis notices Barb's door closed and goes to check on her. When she walks in, the door slams behind her and she is a goner. Then Jess gets another call. This might be the most unhinged one yet. He starts off by calling her a pig and then goes into this Billy and Agnes routine. The sound design for all these phone calls is crazy. It's like one guy doing multiple voices. This time he stayed on the line long enough to get a trace. John Saxon gets the call and learns that the calls are coming from inside the house. Oh shit. I can't remember if I already mentioned it, but that's kind of the big reveal. Which I can't tell how surprising that is since the guy has been chilling in the attic throughout the whole movie. Saxon is calling the squad car out front and we see that that dude is dead. Jess gets a call from Officer Doofy and he really tries to give Jess the best instructions possible without telling her that the killer is in the house. But he spills the beans. He's trying to tell her just to walk out the front door and she almost does. But she can't just leave her friends alone so she spots a fire poker and decides to go for it. She heads upstairs and checks in Barb's room. The suspense throughout this section is great. When she checks in Barb's room, Jess sees them dead. Then we get another one of this movie's great moments. While Jess is backing away from the room, we hear Billy saying, Agnes, Agnes, it's me, Billy. She looks up and just sees an eye peeking through the crack near the door hinge. The camera zooms up on the eye and it looks crazy. I'm guessing it's from the lighting, but the middle of the eye almost looks red. Jess slams the door on his hand and takes off downstairs. Billy comes screaming down the stairs after her and gets a hold of her hair over the railing at one point. She drops down and manages to lock herself in the basement. They still haven't really shown Billy. You just see his legs fly by the railing and he is just screaming and pounding on the door. It's really scary. The banging and screaming stop and just starts walking around in the basement. She sees a silhouette approach the windows. We hear Peter calling out to see if Jess is in there. She starts to realize that it still could be Peter since the calls were coming from inside the house. She backs away and tries to hide. 
He breaks the glass on the door and lets himself in. He finds her and starts to approach her. It cuts to the outside of the house. We hear Jeff scream and some whacking sounds. The cops arrive and bust in at the same time as this. They find Jess with Peter on her lap. He has been beaten to death and she looks pretty out of it. It fades to the next scene. Jess has been sedated in her bed at the sorority house. They're getting all the bodies to the morgue and doing all that police stuff. Mr. Harrison goes into shock. Everyone leaves Jess alone in her room to rest. They're all convinced that Peter must have been the murderer. The camera pans around the rooms of the house. We see that the bodies of Claire and Mrs. Mack were never found in the attic. The attic door opens and we hear the killer say, Agnes, it's me, Billy. The camera zooms away from the house, showing a lone cop standing outside. After a few moments, we hear that the phone starts ringing inside. Roll credits. So I had to rewind that ending and rewatch it because the credits caught me off guard a little bit. I think it was the quick ending that just kind of threw me off. I even thought for a second, maybe there's a post credit scene. Then I remembered, this isn't a fucking Marvel movie. That's just how it ends. Which I'm not going to lie, kind of frustrated me a little bit on first watch. I got five scenes of Mrs. Mac drinking booze out of a toilet, plus a bunch of scenes with Barb that felt like they were meant for a movie like Porky's, but the ending is over in about five minutes. Don't get me wrong, it's a great five minutes, but it just makes the middle of the movie feel a little too padded. That might be my biggest gripe. You could cut out all of those kind of bullshit unimportant scenes with Mrs. Mac and Barb. I don't really think this is a good or bad thing, but most of the characters are unlikable. Jess, Peter, Barb, Phyllis's boyfriend, Mrs. Mack, Officer Doofy. I don't like any of them. The only two decent people that we spend any time with are Phyllis and Claire's dad. Everyone else stinks. The performances are all great. Just the way the characters are written make them stink. Don't take it the wrong way though. I really enjoyed this movie overall. I think the way the story unfolds is told in a very clever way. I really enjoy the slower pacing after the opening and the somewhat ambiguous ending. Oh yeah, I kind of got off track there. The ending tells us that when Billy sneaks down from the attic, he kills Jess and just like earlier, after he kills somebody, he calls the house to do his freaky phone call shit. It's a really smart way to wrap up the movie. The cops think the wrong guy did it and the killer's still out there. It's pretty surprising they never made a sequel. John Carpenter liked the movie so much that he pitched a sequel to Bob Clark. Bob turned it down because he was done with making horror movies. From what I've heard, the sequel he had in mind was essentially what would end up being Halloween. The praise this movie gets is well deserved. Its innovation inspired horror movies that would shape the history of the genre for decades to come. For me, this one's getting three and a half out of five Billies in the Attic. Well, that's going to do it for me tonight. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the Christmas edition of Midnight Movie Theater. If you haven't already, check out my earlier episodes of this month to hear my thoughts on Deadly Games, Better Watch Out, and Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. My next episode is going to be a bit of a New Year's celebration. I'm doing another triple movie marathon. These really do a number on my mental state, so be sure to tune in for that. I've picked out three of the most popular horror movies from 2023 that I haven't gotten around to, to watch back to back to back. We're going with Talk To Me, which I'm pretty excited to finally check this one out. Saw 10, 
which I'm considerably less excited for, and then Five Nights at Freddy's, which I'm already regretting putting this on the list, but it fits the bill. Also, on next week's episode, I'm going to introduce something a little new that's going to help me decide which movies on my watch list I'll be choosing. It's an AI robot that I ordered from Timu. It's a little bit of a Christmas present to myself for the show. I'm not sure how AI works exactly, but supposedly this robot guy is going to be able to tell me all sorts of wacky shit. Anyway, that's coming in from China and it should be here any day now. As always, thanks for listening to Midnight Movie Theater. Merry Christmas. Hello? I have just one question for you. Are you ready? Am I ready for what? Who's this? Are you ready for this Sunday night when WWE champ John Cena defends his title in the WWE Super Slam? Right now you can order this awesome pay-per-view event for just $59.99. I'm sorry, no, there is not any chance in hell that we're ever going to have wrestling in this house again, but thank you. But no. Have a good day. Hello? And goodbye to anyone standing in John Cena's way when he takes on six men in a steel cage shoots and ladders match at WWE Super Slam. Slam. Order now and take $10 with a low, low price of just $49.99. Sir, you guys just called me, and as I mentioned before, we're not ordering this, so please stop calling my house. Thank you and goodbye. Hi, can I speak to Champ? Who? Champ? Is Champ there? Who is Champ? That question will be answered this Sunday night! Hey, sir! Taking on Shane! calling my house! The Undertaker! Quit calling me! See a punk! And even Triple H in the big show in a spit swapping makeout match! WWE Super Listen! Hello? Hello? Can you stop screaming in your little sirens and whatever that is? Can you knock it off for five seconds? Not interested! Stop calling my fing house! I'm watching you. Excuse me? That's exactly what The Undertaker told John Cena! But will he be able to take the belt from the mightiest champion in WWE history at this weekend's WWE Super Okay, good morning. Uh, hi, I'm just calling this morning to ask if you're a supporter of the United States military. Oh my God, I apologize. We've been getting called all morning. I, I apologize, and yes. Fantastic. Yes, I am. Great. Uh, are you a supporter of the Marine Corps? 
Yes, absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Great, because a former decorated member of the United States Marine Corps needs your support. And his name is John C. He's going to get in the ring and put boots to asses this Are weekend. you kidding me right now? WWE Are you kidding me right now? I can't even handle this. I cannot handle this. Price of only thirty nine ninety nine. I can't believe you're still calling me. I'm about to lose my. <laughs> I swear I'm about to call the police. Hello, you have a collect call from John Cena. Will you accept the charges? Oh, f your mother. Listen, stop calling. Is, is listening not your strong suit? Morning Zoo Radio Hi. Show on Z104. How are you? What? We've been we've what? been we've been <laughs> phone so scamming you. Your, your husband <laughs> your husband Donnie told us to phone. Hi. We are all in a fight right now. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I'm I, so sorry. I felt I, so bad for you. I couldn't believe the oh mouth thought you had on oh, you. Oh my god. Well, listen, I'm... I haven't, I haven't had my coffee yet. Shut yes. Up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know how Well, listen, uh, we won't be calling you back anymore, I promise, okay? Oh, thank Jesus. So you, won't have to oh, hear, you won't have to hear this. <laughs> All right, you won't have to hear that I anymore. I swear to God, I was going was, was to go to jail, and I, I, I was... Oh, it was bad. God damn, there's a lot of dumb words in this sentence. <laughs> 